Amen. Well, if you ask me how that works, I don't know. Uh, I know how often I think about my sin. I know how often the devil reminds me of my sin. Uh, and the fact that Almighty God and Sovereign God in heaven has put it under his blood and cast it as far as the east is from the west and remembers it no more, I don't know how that works. But I'm glad it does. Don't you? I'm glad that when he looks down, he doesn't see all the things the devil reminds me of. And it's under his blood, and I'm thankful it covers it, right? Uh, boy, in construction years ago, we would go in and do some remodels on houses, and we had this paint called kilts. You ever used that before? Kilts, you know? And it kind of kills the stains on ceilings and whatnot. And man, uh, we'd paint it on some stuff, and every once in a while, it'd bleed through, and you'd paint it back again, and it'd just keep bleeding through crayon, you know, Sharpie markers, you know, maybe meatballs on the ceiling. I don't know what some people do in their houses. And it just kept bleeding through. And man, the best efforts that we would put forth, we just couldn't get to, to go away or to hide it. And aren't you glad the blood of Christ is not like that? Uh, one coat will do it, right? Amen. You don't have to keep reapplying it. One coat will do it, and it's under the blood and remembers it no more. That will almost make you smile, won't it? Some of you thought about it, I could tell. Good to see you here tonight. Hope you had a good afternoon. Let's get right into the Word if we could. Let's go back. First Chronicles chapter 13 uh, and chapter 15. I took a little extra time from you this morning, so we're going to jump right in and maybe give it back to you at the end of the service. That's a maybe. Depends on if you smile every once in a while. Amen. Nod your head. Act like you're getting it. And uh, I'm going to share a simple thought with you. I didn't intend on being uh, here, but the Lord did. And I'm thankful that he made that clear as we prepared what to preach tonight. I uh, thought we might this morning, and we definitely will. First Chronicles 13, if you're there, go ahead and stand, if you will. By now, referencing it last week, as well as preaching out of these two chapters this morning, we've got a little bit of the groundwork already laid, so I'll not belabor the point uh, re-explaining that to you. Uh, we're going to pick up in chapter 13 first, uh, toward the tail end of the disaster of David bringing the cart, not after the due order, uh, and Uzzah being killed. My daughter told me on the way home this afternoon, Dad, you only said Uzzah one time, okay? Uh, I'm trying to do better. Uzzah, okay? Uzzah. Uh, and the Bible says in verse 10 is where he was killed. I want to pick up in verse number 11 and, and read to the end of the chapter, and then we'll pray and let you be seated. The Bible says, And David was displeased because the Lord had make a, made a breach upon Uzzah, wherefore that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? Well, that's an important question we ought to be asking. Verse 13, so David brought not the ark home to himself to the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months, and the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Uh, Lord, that we keep going back to the same place and finding wonderful truth, Lord, that you have preserved for us. I pray tonight that, Father, we take the truths that you have preserved and, Lord, we'd receive them. I pray we'd respond to them tonight. I pray you challenge our hearts through it. And, Lord, I just pray that your will be done in the message tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, the only background I'll cover is reminding you, verse, chapter 13 uh, was his disaster. Chapter number 15 was when he got things right. Preached about that this morning, how David changed his plan. So what God is doing, 
God's taking two chapters, and he's allowing us to compare and contrast readiness. All right, chapter 13, was he ready? Uh, Uzzah would say no. He thought he was ready. David thought he had everything in order, but he was doing it not after the due order. Aren't you glad tonight our Father gives us a due order, all right? Not just an order, but the due order. God says this is the order that he is due. And by the way, that's the order we should give because he's due that, what he requires of us. So chapter 13 is the mistake. Chapter 15 is when David learns his lesson, and God is allowing us to compare and contrast. Now, I'm not cracking a joke tonight, but I hate it for Uzzah's sake that he had to go through that for us to learn, uh, but I'm thankful that I can learn and not have to experience what Uzzah did, or Uzzah. There it is again, Miley. Ah, gosh. Doing so good. I said it twice tonight, all right? So I already broke the record, all right? I hate that that had to happen to him, but I'm thankful my father preserved that that I could learn from his mistakes, and I don't have to make the same mistakes. You say, well, uh, we don't have much of a chance of touching the ark, uh, but I can tell you that not seeking things after God's due order is just as much a disaster, that we as the people of God do not follow what God has organized and preserved for us on how to live our life. Now, we see this all throughout Scripture. If you read Proverbs 10, uh, Proverbs 10, read it when you're, when you're going through your Bible reading this year, you see a lot of compare and contrast. The righteous, the unrighteous, the upright, and those that are wicked. And you see the, the results of what happened to those who go down one road versus the other road. We see it in 2 Peter 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 6. The Bible says, In turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto them that should after live ungodly. God says, I wanted to show you the results of that road. Now, folks, I hate that Sodom and Gomorrah got wiped off the map. I hate that. But I'm thankful I get to learn from it. And God says, I put their account in there for you. This is a loving Heavenly Father who recorded their stories so that you and I could learn from their mistakes if we're willing to do that. I don't know about you, I'm hard-headed. Sometimes I have to make the same mistakes uh, that people in the Bible made uh, and, and have the same consequence. Now, that's not the will of God. Uh, God would have us to learn from his word. That's why he gave them to us as an example. I thought about this this afternoon. Uh, my sister's not here tonight. She's probably watching on live stream, and she can correct me if I have the story wrong. But when my dad was working out of town one time, uh, there were certain things in the house we didn't mess with, okay? Uh, we didn't mess with dad's bow and arrow, you know, guns, stuff like that. We didn't play with that stuff while he was gone. And, and I remember my dad had a friend who was extremely talented, and he carved my dad this beautiful walking cane. Now, as far as I know, you didn't need a cane, but it was a beautiful one all the same and had a, a marble doorknob for the top of it. It was beautiful. And somewhere along the line, if I remember the story correctly, I'll give you the gist of it at very least, my sister and I broke it. Beautiful cherry carved walking cane with a, uh, a marble doorknob on the top. It was just beautiful, and we broke it in half. And I, if I recall correctly, uh, my mom, who was at the house at the time, dad was working, I think, in Natchez. My mom was uh, at the house. She says, I'm going to give you a choice. Uh, I'm going to let you decide who gives you the spanking, me or your dad. Uh, now, dad was a disciplinarian in our house, and he's very good at it. You need help with that? Talk to my dad, all right? He's very good. He can show you how to swing a belt. He can, t he, he can I know that we probably have to take that off the live stream tonight before I get arrested. Uh, but he can show you how, how to discipline your kids. I assure you that. And, and my mom, she, she didn't spank us a whole lot at all. 
You know, mom's kind of a softy, you know, the nurturer there at the home. And, and I recall my sister said, I want you to spank me. And uh, I think my mom was insulted by that. If I'm not sure. Uh, but I think mom was like, oh, so you think I'm going to be a softy? And I recall so clearly, she laid into my sister something fierce. It was bad. It was, it was bad. I, I didn't think she had it in her. You know, you look at that sweet lady back there, that quiet lady, there's loves on everybody, but all of a sudden, something came out. And I thought about it after I watched her get her spanking, I thought, dad couldn't be any worse. I'm going to wait for dad, <laughs> you know. And uh, sure enough, I don't think it was that bad. But I had the opportunity to watch her get a whooping and think, you know what, don't want any of that. Don't want any of that. At the moment, I waited until dad got home and I, I got a spanking, but I don't think it was as bad as her. Now, here's the point. I was able to see the results of their actions and learn from it, all right? Same thing for us. That's what the Word of God is all about. We learn from the results of other people's actions, and we should apply it to our lives. The hard part is tonight, oftentimes we don't do that. We have enough examples in the Word of God and we have enough examples in the world for us to be spiritual geniuses. To learn from what God has said in his word. To learn from what people like Sodom and Gomorrah have done and what the result was for that. We've seen enough that we should be able to spiritually near about walk on water. But the problem is we never apply it to our life. God gives us these examples. He gives us chapter 13, 1 Chronicles, to show us this is what happens when you don't. He gives us chapter 15, this is what happens when you do. And yet we will still make the pride-filled mistakes they did unnecessarily. We don't have to end up the way that they did. God wants us to learn from those that he had placed in Scripture uh, for us to be edified by. And tonight we're going to look at that if we could. As we look at the subject of the results of the ready, okay? The results of the ready. How many of you like free samples? All right? All right, I could probably just say, how many of you like free? And everybody would have raised their hand. We all like free. I like free samples. I love going to Sam's when they have the free samples. Uh, my wife knows the rule, all right? Here's the routine. Even if she doesn't like it, she gets some for me. Okay? Wives, that's great. You ought to do that. E look, even if you don't like the tuna fish, get a cup for your husband. And uh, to be honest, you might save on having to go out for lunch, save a little money here and there. I like a free sample. The other day, we were in Fairhope at a chocolate place, Fairhope Chocolates, there in uh, Alabama. I watched Brother AJ just going down the gelato line. How, how many samples did you have? I mean, he had four or five samples. You see, you got to try before you buy. It was kind of nice. You got to decide whether you liked it uh, before you had to buy it. That's a pretty good deal. That's what the Word of God is. All right? God lets you see what the outcome is. God lets you know, watch, through the examples of others, what disobedience tastes like. And then he also lets you know what obedience tastes like. And he says, now make your choice. Make your choice. There's none of us tonight that will stand before God and say, I didn't know. Why? That's why we have the book. Most of us have multiple copies of them. God says, I want you to go through here and see exactly what the results are of obedience and disobedience. And tonight, we're going to look at David and Obed-Edom. You know the story well enough by now. We're going to look at the results of those that were ready and the results of those that were not. And tonight, you're going to get to make your choice during the invitation time. Chapter 13, we're going to finish up here uh, where the Bible says that after Uzzah died, David in verse 11 was displeased. 
Verse number 12, watch what David says. I'll be honest, I couldn't help but chuckle as I read this. He says, how shall I bring the ark of God home to me? So David brought not the ark home to himself, verse 13, to the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Now this morning we saw that the ark of God was a burden that was to be carried. It had to be made room for, and you had to be willing to do it after God's order, correct? So now David sees Uzzah die, okay? This is fresh. This has just happened. And David says, I'm not taking that to my house. Here, put it in yours. I'm just being honest with you. Can you imagine Uzzah? You know, I mean, I don't think, I mean, not Uzzah, Obed-Edom. I mean, Uzzah hasn't even cooled off yet. He's been struck dead by God, and the king says, hey, would you put that in your living room? I'm just being honest with you. I wouldn't be so sure about it. You know, kind of look like it's radioactive or something. I don't know if I want that in my home. So David brings it to the house of Obed-Edom. Now, I'll be honest, tonight, I, I imagine an Obed-Edom, when he brought the ark of God into his house, I don't imagine he just stuck it in the carport. I don't imagine that he took the ark of God and says, honey, could you move some of the shoes out of your closet? We're going to slide it in there until the king's ready. I kind of figure this is the ark of God that the presence of God dwelled between the cherubims. I kind of figure that Obed-Edom probably slid some things out of the way and put it in a prominent place in his home. Could we agree with that? This is the ark of God. We talked about it this morning. The priests bear it in the Jordan and it parted Jordan. They marched around Jericho with it. This is the ark of Almighty God. And Obed-Edom says, okay, I'll take it in my house. So David wasn't ready for it at his house, but Obed-Edom says, I'll take it at mine. Watch what happened, if you will. Look down, verse 14. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. I want to show you the first result of being ready tonight. The burden was worth the blessing. The burden was worth the blessing. Now, watch, folks. I believe that bringing the ark of God into his house, his living room, wherever he put it in his house, that was a burden. Could you imagine having the ark of God in your house? By the way, I think it would be a great thought for us to chew on for a few minutes. How would you live differently if the ark of God was in your house? I'll bet you there's some stuff you wouldn't watch on television. I bet if the ark of God was in our house, there's some music we wouldn't listen to, some things we wouldn't participate in. I bet you your lifestyle would change a little bit with the ark of God in the living room. I mean, could we agree with that tonight? It was undoubtedly a burden to have the ark of God present in his house. I mean, I believe they had to walk around it. I mean, uh, it's quite a large piece of furniture. I imagine that they were kind of worried, you know, not wanting to bump up against it. I mean, remember that other guy? You know? Now hear me out. But in the end of the day, the Bible says in verse 14 that the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. After three months of God's blessing, do you know what I think Obed-Edom would tell you? The burden was worth the blessing. The burden of having the ark of God in our home was worth the blessing of having the ark of God in our home. Now, Obed-Edom was ready for it. David was not ready for it. And David and uh, Obed-Edom enjoyed the blessings. Why? Because he was willing to be ready. Now, folks, I think it's vital we be honest tonight and acknowledge something. Fulfilling the burden of this year is going to be just that, a burden. 
getting ready is going to be a burden. I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. I'm thankful for growth I already see in our church. I'm thankful for growth I see in a lot of our people, even some of our young people. What a blessing it is to hear how God's blessing and working in their life, helping them become more ready. But I want you to know, this is not going to be easy. You're going to have to do what David would do in chapter 15 to have the presence of God in order to be ready. It's going to be a burden for you. I believe we've come to a place in Christianity, I believe this with all of my heart, where we want a burdenless faith. We want to have our faith and we want the blessings of our faith, but we don't want the burdens of our faith. You can't have it that way. I know modern religion preaches that, your best life now, God's going to bless you, doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't work that way. The blessings of God come from bearing the burdens of obedience to the Word of God. I want you to know, this thing's heavy. This thing's heavy. We were coming home from the couples retreat, and Leslie and I were... Right, we're heading toward the interstate, talking about what the Lord uh, put on our hearts. And I told you that he kind of got after the men pretty good, and I guess we probably, I'm sure we needed it a little bit. And I left encouraged, but can I tell you, I left burdened. I was able to see a lot of things that I'm not and a lot of things I need to be. And that burden to become what I'm not is heavy. To realize this is the husband that God would have me to be. Uh, this is the father that God would have me to be. And to take on that obedience that I've got to become that. It is a burden. Now folks, tonight, I want you to know it's not going to be easy to get ready. It's not going to be a burdenless task to become ready. But I'll promise you the burden is worth the blessings. That when we bear the burden of having the presence of God in our life and we become more ready to meet him and to be used by him, oh, the blessings that come after that are far worth it. Obed-Edom, wasn't it in the middle of your living room? I don't know. Let's just hypothesize. Was it in the way? Sure. Hey, by the way, your faith is going to get in the way every once in a while. Or it ought to. If your faith never gets in the, in the way of things you want to say, I doubt I doubt the validity of your faith, to be honest with you. If your faith never gets in the way of what you want to do, then your faith's not very deep at all. Your faith should conflict with what your flesh desires to do, and yet you choose to bear that burden of obedience. Why? Because the burden's going to be worth the blessing to have God's presence in your life and in your home. I think about America, and I want you to think about our country, not necessarily uh, in a Christian's perspective, but just think about our country as a whole. I believe we've created this false narrative that we can somehow create a utopian society that is burdenless. Now think about how many commercials you've heard lately, billboards, maybe ads you've read in the paper, and they contain these two words, you deserve. Think about how many times you've heard that lately. It, it irks me to no end. We're going to get you the benefits you deserve. We're going to get you the health care, the education, or we're going to get you the whatever it is that you deserve. I heard one the other day, and it says, every child deserves internet in their home. Now, don't get me wrong, that'd be nice, right? But I remember in the good old days, driving to the public library, putting our name on the sign-up sheet, and waiting for this guy to get off cars.com so I could get on and research for a research paper, you know? I mean, we didn't have internet in our home. We just figured it out and we made it work. Folks, can I tell you something tonight? We do not deserve a burdenless existence in this country. Matter of fact, let me tell you what the Bible says we do deserve. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, the Bible says the laborer is worthy of his reward. You deserve 
what we get from our labor. You say, well, I, I deserve that. We deserve what we get from our labor. Lamentations 3.27, it is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Now, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. I believe this with all of my heart. America was greater when the blessings came by way of burdens than benefits. America was a greater country when the blessings we enjoyed came from the burdens that we carried rather than the benefits that we were given. We are giving out benefits right and left and all it's doing is ruining our country because we're raising up an entire generation. I'm not just talking about young people. I'm talking about full-grown adults now who think that they deserve everything and should carry no burdens for them. You're thinking, well, I agree with you 100%. Can I tell you the same thing has crept into the church? The old quote, I forget who said it, hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times. We're going through hard times. Why? Because I believe we have a lot of weak men. I'm not calling you weak tonight, but if you are, you know who you are, (laughs) all right? Do you know why we're so weak? We haven't had to bear any burdens. We just keep writing checks for all the benefits that we have, but sooner or later we're going to go broke. Now, translate that to the church. Why do we think we deserve the blessings of God when we refuse to carry the burdens that come with those blessings? All right, are you with me? Are you with me tonight? Are you really with me or are you saying that so we'll get done early? All right, Romans 12.1, let me give you an example. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Do you know what a sacrifice is? It's when you let go of something that belongs to you and you would rather keep. That's a burden. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. Watch this, holy. Have you tried to be holy lately? That's a burden. It's not easy. Especially in our world. You're a weirdo if you believe in holiness, all right? I believe in it because it's in my Bible. The Bible says holy acceptable unto God. Have you tried living acceptable unto God lately? That's a burden. Now, you say, well, most people don't carry the burden. Right. That's why they don't enjoy the blessings. I believe that old Obed-Edom says, yes, it was a burden to have the ark of God in our home, but the result was simply this. The burden was worth the blessing. Paul put it this way, 1 Corinthians 9, and every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Now, listen to what he says. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring into subjection. He says, I run, I fight, and I wrestle. That's a burden. You ever wrestle with somebody? Yeah. If you haven't, you ought to try it. It's not easy. Run. Hey, some of you, we're going to have a hard one. Have you ever run lately? You're like, tell me about it. I ran to the kitchen. I was out of breath until I got back to the bedroom with my Pop-Tart. I know how it is. Running is a burden. That's why I haven't run lately. I don't want to be burdened with it. I'd like to lose some weight, but I don't want to carry the burden of jogging around my neighborhood. You see, it's a burden. Now, we want the blessings of the presence of God. Let me tell you, in order to be ready, you've got to understand ready is a burden, but the burden is worth the blessing. When you realize that having the presence of God in your life and in your home and the lives of your children, look at verse 14. I'll give you the second thing tonight. 
The Bible says the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom, watch this, and all that he had. He didn't just bless Obed-Edom. He blessed all that he had. Can I tell you, I'll guarantee you, the, the children of Obed-Edom were glad dad moved some things around the living room and brought the ark of God in there. Why? Because they were blessed because of it. Now, I believe the Bible, don't you? The Bible says it blessed all that he had. I think even if Obed-Edom had some chickens, his chickens were glad. I bet they was laying eggs right and left. Cows giving double milk, you know. I mean, he had cows and chickens and camels. The Bible says God blessed all that he had. Why? Because he was willing to bear that burden. Now, here's what happens. We look around and we get envious of people, not necessarily physical blessings, but the blessings are the opportunities of God. We get envious. Do you know why? Perhaps they were ready and you weren't. David says, I'm not bringing that in my house. That's what we do. Uh-uh. I don't want to become like the preacher. I've had people, they feel sorry for my kid because she's my kid. And maybe some of you, I don't know. I'd hate to be a preacher's kid. Can I tell you? Preacher's kid is no different than the other kid. Her blood's red just like mine is. The blessing she's enjoy, your kids could enjoy too. If you're just willing to bear the burden of making sure you have the presence of God in your home. He's not always where he needs to be in mine, but I'll tell you, when he's there, it's good. And God blesses what? All that he had. I was thankful. I'm sure his kids were thankful that Obed-Edom did what he had to do to have God's blessings there. So number one, notice the first result was the burden was worth the blessing. The second thing now, look down, if you will, to verse 12 again. Chapter 13, verse 12, or verse 11. The Bible says, first, David was displeased. He's upset with God. Verse 12, the Bible says, now he's afraid. And on the other hand, we have this guy, David is worried, David is afraid, he puts the ark in Obed-Edom's house, David goes back to his house, and now God's just blessing old Obed-Edom as, as much as he can. Why? Well, because David said, you know what, I'm not taking that with me, you have it, I'll get it later. And we know in chapter 15 he would get it later. Now, notice the second result of readiness. This is not a good one, okay? So Obed-Edom was ready, so he got the blessings. David wasn't ready. He says, I'm not bringing that to my house. Now we see David, he's afraid, and he's displeased with God. Notice number two tonight. The second result is the delay wasn't worth the difficulty. Now, watch closely. David wasn't ready for it. Not only was he missing out on the blessings, he's grieved because of the consequences. David is afraid, David is displeased, David is virtually miserable. Now, I can't tell you this is how it went, but could I just give you my opinion tonight, all right? This is opinion, opinion, opinion. I believe old David is sitting up there in his castle. I kind of feel like somebody comes up and says, did you hear about Obed-Edom's chickens? Them things are laying eggs, man. Did you hear about Obed-Edom's cows? I mean, they're just producing milk around the clock, and his kids won the MVP trophy at their local camel races, and his wife won the blue ribbon in the pie-baking contest. It's just like the blessings of God are all over that man. David's like, get out of my house. Get out of my house. The next day, opinion, 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 Okay. I love it when people challenge me on opinion, okay? Opinions are like noses. Everybody has one. Some bodies are bigger than the others, okay? 
my opinion. Here's David the next day sitting there in his house. Somebody comes up. Did you hear about Obed-Edom? I mean, his arthritis is gone. He's getting around like a man in his 20s. David, shut up. Get out of my house. I'm just giving you my opinion. I believe old David sat back there. The Bible says for three whole months. And he's miserable. I know the Bible says in verse number, verse number 11, he was displeased. Verse 12, he was afraid. He's not in a good place. And now he's listening to what God's doing in Obed-Edom's life. And David could have had that. Could he have had it? Oh, absolutely he could have had it. He says, I'm not bringing that to my house. Here, you put it in your house. And now he's hearing of all the results in that. That goes to show us tonight this very important principle. The most miserable person in the world is one who knows the will of God and is living in disobedience to it. Miserable. To know what you could have that God shows you through the lives of other people, what's available. Now look, I don't know how God would bless, but God blessed him. And I don't know how God would bless you, but I know God blesses us. Now David sits back and he's miserable. I know a lot of Christians that are there. I know a lot of Christians that are there. Because we lack the spiritual courage. Can I just be honest with the Sunday night crowd? We lack the spiritual courage to make room in our life to seek God after the due order to get ready, that we don't have the courage to do that because it would inconvenience our lifestyle and we're going to have to move this around to bring the ark in here. You know what? You just have it at your house and we watch how God uses them and we watch how God blesses them and we sit back and we sit soaking sour and we just get bitter. Oh, who do they think they are? They're just blessed. They don't think they're anything better than you. They're just blessed. Well, I wonder why God's blessing them. Wonderful question. David starts said, I wonder if it has anything to do with the ark. That light bulb's flickering. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm the king. I could have that in my house. I think I want to go to Obed-Edom's and get them to bring that to me. You see, David could have had it in chapter number 13. But for three long months, he's going to go without it because he delayed doing what God told him to do because it was difficult. Because it was difficult. Let me give you a scripture, Psalms 119, 59. The Bible says, I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. Now here, verse 60. Psalms 119, 60. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. You know the best thing we could do when we know what God wants us to do? Don't delay. Don't delay. For three whole months, David missed out on what he could have had if he had just been obedient to what God wanted and sought God after the due order for three whole months. And Obed-Edom was over there thinking, well, I'll take it. I'll take it. Folks, tonight I wonder what God would do with our church through this new year if we all decided we're going to do what it takes to be ready. We're going to bear the burden and then we're not going to delay. Once we know the will of God, we're going to act on the will of God. Why? Because we want to follow this example. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. Because David would tell you the delay, it's not worth the difficulty. What you miss out on is not worth the difficulty. I think about old Jonah. Now, we talked about him this morning, and I want you to think about this in context. It only took Jonah three days for him to say, I might have made a mistake. It took David three months. Three months. Now, I don't know about you. I, I wonder what would come my way in 
pass my way in the will of God for my life if I chose to delay obedience to the will of God for three months? What could we miss? What could God do? What would God desire to do? One of the shortest and most profound verses in all the word of God is one of the shortest and most profound truths in the word of God. It's Luke 17, 32. The Bible gives us three words. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Just simple, to the point. You know the context. God says, get out. God says, make a move. God says, I'm fixing to destroy it. God says, don't look back. Don't look back. We know the story that Lot's wife would come out and take a couple of good steps, and I hope you've taken a couple of good steps this year. But then she would stop, and she would look back, never to take another step again. If Lot's wife was here tonight, can I tell you the result that I think she would share with you? The delay is not worth the difficulty. The delay is not worth the difficulty. She could have moved on in safety with her family. Who knows how she might have intervened between Lot and the incestuous relationship with his daughters. There's no mama there. No mama there to step in and say, oh, this is horrible. And then we have the people of Moab and the people of Ammon who would be a thorn in the side to the people of God. And I wonder tonight how much a mama could have intervened. If mama just snatched them up and pulled off a peach tree limb and wore them out and says, this is wrong. But she wasn't there. You know why she wasn't there? She delayed. She knew the will of God and yet she turned back to look and it cost her the blessings. I think she'd tell you the delay wasn't worth the difficulty. Quote I've given before and it bears mentioning again. On the plains of hesitation bleached the bones of countless millions who at the dawn of victory sat down to wait, and waiting died. And waiting died. Do you know so many Christians die on the beaches of hesitation? Because we say, you know, I'm going to wait. You know what, I don't want to bring it into my house right now. Well, it's going to inconvenience my home. I mean, if we bring that in, topsy-turvy. It's just going to change my life. If we bring the presence of God, you know what, not now. Why don't you have it? Hey, you, you take this invitation, I'll take the next one. We delay. And how many Christians bleached spiritual bones lie there on that beach of hesitation all because they waited and there waiting they died. Now here we are February. We're one month into our theme this year. I hope that in somehow, in some way, you're more ready tonight than you were when we launched our theme a few weeks ago. I hope you're more ready. I hope you've taken some steps. I hope that there's something on your card, all right? I keep mine in my Bible. I hope there's something on your card you've been able to check, a gospel track. I hope you're moving forward. Why? Because if not, you're doing like David. No, thank you. Not, not, not right now. I don't want to bring that in my house right now. By the way, it is amazing the things we will bring in our house. The things we pipe in through our television, we pipe in through our internet. It's amazing the things we let freely come into our home that most, of, by the way, are going to be destructive. And yet the presence of God, the will of God, you know what, not right now. I'm just not in a good place right now. Oh, can I tell you, you're not in a good place if you don't want the presence of God in your home. The delay is not worth the difficulty. Finally, we'll end on a happy note. We did that this morning, okay? I think that keeps my yard from getting rolled. Let's go back to chapter 15. So 
the contrast. Chapter 15, David says, we preached about it this morning, let's get this right. We tried it wrong, let's get it right this time. So David decides he wants to get ready. He says, oh, Bed Edom's being blessed. I want to be blessed. Let's get ready to receive the ark of God. And we know the story preached about it this morning made a place in verse number one. They sought it after the order, verse number two. Then I want you to look over, if you will. Let's see, for the sake of time, verse 25. So here they come. They're in this great procession bringing the ark of God to the city of David. So David and the elders of Israel and the captains, over thousands, went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the house of Obed-Edom, watch this, with joy. Oh, what a difference three months makes. Could we just pause for a moment? Go back to chapter 13 and look at his countenance in verse 11. He was displeased. Verse 12, he was afraid. We see him being hesitant. And now we see him in verse 25, two chapters later, bringing the ark up with joy. Do you know why he's joyful? Easy stuff tonight. Do you know why he's joyful? He's joyful because he decided he was going to get ready. He says, I wasn't ready for it two chapters ago, but I'm going to get ready for it now. And now, instead of being fearful and displeased with God, David is marching through the streets with joy. What's the last result tonight of the ready? I believe it's very simple. I believe David would tell you, the journey is worth the joy. The journey to get ready is worth the joy. Now, all it took was three months for him. To go from fear and displeasure to having joy. And here he is running down the streets. If you look down to verse number 29, I believe it is. The Bible says it came to pass as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David. That Michael, the daughter of Saul, looking out the window, saw King David dancing and playing. Now what does that look like? I don't know. I'm not going to act that out for you. All right, I'll get some of you to do that out there in the foyer here in just a minute. Man, what a difference the life of David. From fear and displeasure to dancing in the streets with joy and playing. What happened? He finally decided to make the journey to get ready. Is it okay? I want what he's got. I want some of what Obed-Edom's got. I want the blessings of God on my life. And David did all that he needed to do in order to get ready. And I think David would tell you tonight, the joy is worth the journey. Now, I want you to think about this thought of joy before we close. You know, joy is not just being happy. Right? There's a difference in, in being joyful and being happy. I like both, to be honest with you. But the difference tonight is simply this. Oftentimes, happiness is based on external circumstances. When you smile, I'm happy. External. Joy is there even when you don't smile. Joy makes your heart smile no matter what's going on, on the outside of you. Joy keeps you going when nothing else will keep you going. Why? Because joy is not about a circumstance. Hear me out. Joy is about a presence in your life. All right? Joy is not because things are all going right in your world. Oh, no, no, no. You can have joy when things aren't going right in your world. Joy stems from having the presence of God in your life. That's where joy comes from. And here's David running down the street. I mean, look. Hey, I guess it's all right, you know. Maybe out there in the parking lot, all right? I don't want you to scare anybody. 
Get the presence of God in your life. You're so happy, you just, you know, skip across the parking lot. Some of you haven't skipped in a while. Might enjoy that. That's the kind of joy I want in my life. That no matter what's going on about me, I want to have something inside that because I have the presence of God in my life, nothing can extinguish that. No circumstance can put out the fire of what God brings to my life. That's what David's doing. He says, well, we got the presence of God in here. And look at the difference it's making. By the way, you see that, Galatians 5.22. The Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Number two is what? Joy. By the way, if you notice on the word spirits, capital S, that means the Holy Spirit. When you have the possession, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the fruit that comes from that is love and joy. You see, it's not about circumstance. It's about the presence of God in your life. And here's David. David says, oh, the results of being ready, well, the journey is well worth the joy. Now tonight, why did God put this in here? Why did God put this in here? Why did God preserve this story? Why did God give us chapter 13, chapter 17? Compare and contrast. God says, I, I want you to have my presence, but you got to do it my way. And when you bear the burden of obedience, you find the blessings of obedience. Obed-Edom says, bring it to my house. Bring it to my house. Oh, tonight, that we'd have some family say, bring it to my house. I don't, now, look, no offense to anybody who don't want it, all right? I'm just going to be straight up with you for a minute. I don't care about anybody else that don't want it. I do. Bring it home. I want to bring it home to my house. I want the blessings of God on my house, the blessings of God on my child. I want the blessings of God on our ministry. Hey, hey, if nobody else wants it, I want it. Oh, that we'd have the courage to do that. To bow before an almighty God and say, okay, God, I don't know what I need to do to clear out space and to bear the burden, but I want it in my house, and I'm willing to do that. Oh, what you might see God do. You say, would I get the Ferrari? I doubt it. I promise you get something better. The blessings in the hand of God on your life. Nothing like being there under the almighty hand of God. Providence. Protection. But you have to make the decision that Obed-Edom did. You know what? I want to bring that home. What are the results of the ready? Number one, blessings are worth the burden. You're going to have to bear a burden to be who God wants you to be, but the blessings are worth it. Number two, the delay is not worth the difficulty. David says, I was miserable for three months. Some of you may be a month in to saying no, and you've been miserable for a whole month. Can I tell you, things will change on a dime when you decide, I'm going to do what I need to do to have the presence of God in my life. And you will see what David saw in chapter 15. You'll see that the journey is worth the joy. Make the journey to get ready. Why? Because there's joy on the other side. Tonight, let's stand together. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.